source, you are our strength, you are our hope, you are our light. You are our rock, God. You are our, our refuge. When the storms of life are going about us, knocking us side to side and losing our, our grip, Lord, you are our refuge, God. You are our strong tower. Father, we cling to you, God. You are our protector. You are our shield about us. You are our shepherd. You know each one of us by name. You know our tendencies, God. Some of us like to wander. Some of us are curious, God. Some of us have wandered and don't know where we're at and we're crying out for help and you hear us, God. You're the good shepherd. And we worship you, Lord. We give you praise. You're the only one who's deserving of that. We surrender our hearts to you. We surrender our lives to you. We surrender our past to you, our present and our future, God. We know that our days are in your hands. Our life is in your hands. God, we praise you because no matter what difficulties we go through, what obstacles we face, what darkness we see, what shadows lurk about us, Lord, you are still true, and you're still good and still kind. And nothing, Lord, absolutely nothing can thwart your plans. Nothing can thwart your will, God. Father, we commit ourselves to you this, this, this afternoon, our hearts to you, Lord, to, to hear from you, Lord. We pray your blessing as we study your word, and we ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to us, Lord. I ask, Lord, as I pray, Lord, what, what you told Jeremiah, I will put my words in your mouth. Let these be your words that come out of my mouth, Lord, not my words. Only your word, Lord, can penetrate the deepest crevices of our heart. Only your word, Lord, can move the stones and can soften the rocky soil. And so, Lord, we dedicate this time to you. We ask your blessing. We ask your presence here and for you to do the ministry here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. It's good seeing everyone. How is everyone doing? Good? Good? Surviving the heat? I know it's 4.30, 5 o'clock in the afternoon in Phoenix, Arizona, and it's like 50% humidity, which is kind of weird. And uh, anyway, so uh, you're here. Praise God. Um, very thankful for Kim for leading worship. Thank you. Kim, again, longtime friend. Uh, she sang at our wedding. So like, we go way back at least to that many years, you know, at least you and I do. But uh, very grateful. And uh, um, if you have your Bibles, <clears throat> I want you to turn to Ephesians 6. And we're, we're, start, we're continuing our study in Ephesians, but um, we're going to, let me see here, get my stuff ready. All right, Ephesians 6, and we'll see how far we get. How's that sound? Sounds good? Sounds good to me. All right, because uh, last time we got partway, how oh, I wanted to get it. So we're in the armor of God section, and we're, we're sort of going to start looking at perhaps the, the, the first armor, but let's slow down here. So verse 10, got it? Ephesians 6, verse 10. Paul says, finally... 
Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. How many of you guys have experienced those schemes? How many of you guys are living that right now? Right now, the devil's giving you some major schemes and you don't know what to do about it. Okay. You're in good company. You're in good company. Because we are in a real battle, aren't we? We are in a real battle. I mean, when you sign up to become a Christian, I hope it was the biblical Christianity, not the modern Christianity, because biblical Christianity is this. Jesus says, listen, if you follow me, you're going to have trouble. In fact, the world hates me, it's going to hate you. You're going to get trials, tribulations, and trouble in this world. In fact, the first time the disciples actually, in the book of Acts, when they got uh, persecuted the first time, they rejoiced. They're like, yes, we got persecuted because of Jesus. They rejoiced at that. That's if we follow biblical, if we follow modern Christianity, modern Christianity says this, hey, you follow Jesus, no problems, no worries, no, no, no issues at all. Right? Can you hear me okay? Hello? Turn me up? Okay. You want to turn me up a little bit? I can hear myself. <laughs> so, that's better. My wife couldn't hear me. Okay. Where were we at? Modern Christianity says this. If you follow Jesus, you won't have any problems. Lord, I'm having a lot of problems. What is going on here? This is not what I signed for. Was this in the fine print? Problems? No. We are in a real battle, okay? So Paul says, put on that full armor of God. I sound a little bit loud now. Is that too loud? Yeah, it's a little bit too loud. Okay. For our struggle, verse 12, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. In other words, the person next to you is not your problem. The person in your family is not your problem. Your spouse, your husband, your wife, your crazy cousin, uncle, grandma, whatever, is not your problem. Our struggle is not with flesh and blood. Though we sometimes we look and say, they look like the trouble, don't we? I know you're not the problem, but you look like the problem. No, the problem is behind the problem. See, in the, in the Genesis 3, there was a serpent, a real serpent, a real snake. But there was a, a problem behind that problem. is the devil. And he kind of wants to hide behind and, and kind of set off things and, and avoid being detected. So that we start attacking one another. So we start warring with the mother. We start arguing and, and all this kind of stuff. We know that. And he's very good at that. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our battle is real. And it's against a real enemy and against a really strong and powerful enemy. One enemy we cannot see. This is a spiritual battle. Lest we forget, we are spiritual beings, aren't we? Lest we forget that we have a, there's a spiritual reality, a spiritual world that we can't see with our own eyes. I mean, it's hard enough that I have to wear glasses and not see the physical world, right? I have to wear glasses and say, oh, I can see words now. But my own physical eyes, they have a hard time seeing physically, but I also have a hard time seeing spiritually. So by faith, I have to trust and say, God, there's a reality that you're telling me that's, that's behind this other reality. So he says, therefore, because of this, take up the full armor of God. Listen, we are in a battle, aren't we? 
we are in a real battle. Haley, how many of you guys ever wanted to live for God? Uh, well, you're here, right? <laughs> what, a, what a silly question. You wanted to live for God, but you faced what? Opposition. How many of you guys, when you became a Christian, faced opposition by family members? They say, you did what? Don't tell me about this Jesus and leave that Bible, you know, and they, they go like this to you, right? There's this opposition. Some of us grew up in Christian families, so we don't, maybe we don't have that relationship, right? But some of us did not. Some of us came from a non-Christian background. We've been Cuban Christians, and they thought we went all bonkers, right? What? You're following Jesus? I'd rather that you do other things but then follow Jesus, you know? There's an opposition because we're in a real battle. How many of you guys wanted or still want to live according to his word? Right? How many of you guys ever just say, I'm going to start getting up at 4 a.m. and do quiet time? No, no, okay, 5 o'clock, no. I'm not, okay, you, you, you have this New Year's resolution. You want to you start things right, you know, and, and like, I'm going to get up early and start, I'm going to do an hour day of quiet time with the Lord. I'm going to do all this, right? And what happens? You wake, wait, first of all, the alarm goes off, you hit the snooze button, right? And you hit it again, you hit it again. Next you know, it's 6, 7, 8, oh, it's time to go to work. Tomorrow, Lord, I'll see you tomorrow, you know? Seep comes in, you know? Distractions. You go and you get all yourself set to pray to the Lord, and then there's, there's opposition. Weekends are really busy for me. You know why? Because I'm trying to get ready for a message. And guess what happens? All you know what breaks loose on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Okay? Not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but Friday and, Sar- and su- Saturday and Sunday... Emails, phone calls, problem this, arguments that, whatever, you know. Why? Because I'm trying to, to, okay, God, we're trying to do something spiritual here. Opposition. Why? Because we are in a real battle. You want to live for God? You ever wondered about God's own nature? God even like me? Is he, not, not, is he like me? Does he even like me? Yes, I've wondered. Lord, why were you mad at me, right? Anyway, <clears throat> Paul says we are in a struggle. By the way, he says, he says we wrestle not. Who, who has that translation where it says we wrestle not? How many have that translation where it says we wrestle not with, with, with flesh and blood? You got that? Okay. That's, that's a good term because the idea of this word means it's a close hand-to-hand combat. It's a, it's a close, he, in, in fact, the, you know, if you, um, you can do combat from distance, right, and shoot barrels and arrows and guns and missiles like it, but then when you have, sometimes you have face-to-face combat, right, and hand-to-hand is like, now, uh, no, more, no more of your weapons anymore, it's, it's mano-a-mano and, and, and I'm going to beat you, basically, that's the wrestling match that we are in. Our struggle is real. It's a real battle. Now, why is this battle? Look, let's look, look here. Therefore, verse 13, right? Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. What's the evil day? The evil day is when the devil decides to turn up the heat on you. It's the day when he decides to, to, to send in the unexpected missiles and troubles and troubled waters and all that kind of stuff that you didn't see coming. It wasn't on your radar screen, right? It's the day when you experience the phone calls and the bad news and the distress 
circumstances in your life, you're like, where did this come from? My week is planned. I knew Monday I was doing this. Tuesday I'm having lunch with so-and-so. Wednesday I'm going to do this. Right? We have our weeks planned, don't we? We don't expect the unexpected. So he says, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, there's the goal. Stand firm. Spiritual warfare is done by standing firm. Standing firm where? In the victory of Christ. Standing firm in our position in Christ. Standing for, firm in the, in the things of God, okay? What Satan wants us to do is he wants us to quit. He wants us to throw in the towel. He wants us to, to give up. He wants us to run. He wants us to, do, do, to, to move everything else away from what God, what Christ has won for us victoriously. You know, we stand in victory, don't we? Do we stand in victory or not? Okay, the Cardinals don't stand in victory, but we do. The D-backs, we hope for the D-backs stand in victory, but we do. See, football season is really a bummer to me. You know why? And so is baseball season. Football season, because you, you get let down, right? You're hoping for your team to win. You're praying for your team to win. And every, your Sunday, you're like, oh, or yay, oh, yay, you know? And it's a roller coaster, right? And your team, let's say your team wins. Your team wins the championship, right? So you celebrate, you know, and, and then what happens next? Okay, the year ends. And then what? Well, that was last year. But now here's New Year. See, in Christ, we stand in victory that will never go in cyclical. It will never be like, oh, one year Christ is victorious, the next year, no, his, vic- his victory lasts forever. We are in a real battle. We are in a real battle because there's two opposing sides, aren't there? There's two kingdoms. We are in a real battle because there's two kingdoms, and they're very different, aren't they? Two opposing sides. You have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. You have the kingdom of God and light and love and the kingdom of darkness and hatred. You have the kingdom of truth and the kingdom of lies. You have the kingdom of freedom and the kingdom of bondage. Two opposing kingdoms that have are diametrically opposed. Now, we know at the end of the day that God's kingdom wins, Right? So here's what Paul does. He says, because we are in this struggle, and because we're, their battle is real, and because there's two kingdoms, they are diametrically opposed, we have to be ready. And the goal is here to stand firm. He says, stand firm, verse 14, having girded your loins with truth. There's actually six pieces of armor and we may go to get to the first one today. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet 
with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that gospel shoes. And in addition, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. God says we are in a real battle. A real battle. And some of us are experiencing that battle right now. And we are in a real battle because we are, one, we are in one kingdom over another. We are a kingdom of God if you're a believer in Christ. Satan would have nothing better than to take you down, to discourage you, to destroy you, to enslave you, to twist how you see God. It's a difference in nature. God's kingdom is a kingdom of light for one, one thing. Scripture says that, that God is light and in him is no darkness. At all. But here in verse 14, I want to look at the nature of God is related to his, his truth. It says that God is truth. And we are to take up this. I want you to go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32. We're going to we're going to look around. i got a lot of scripture, so. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 32. I want to I want you to see something here. 32 and verse 4. Deuteronomy verse 32, chapter 32 and verse 4. Moses says, he says, the rock... He's talking about God. The rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness or truth, and without injustice. God is a rock. His work is perfect. His ways are just. He's a God of faithfulness or truth. Because if you're going to be truthful, you're going to be faithful as well. And God is not only a truth God, he's a faithful God. There's no injustice in him. There's, no, there's only righteousness and uprightness in him. Jesus says that I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the truth. The Holy Spirit. Jesus says that he's called the spirit of truth. Who guides us into all of the truth. God's word. It's truth. It's truth. It's God's word is truth. And God is a true God. He cannot lie. Go back to Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians. I feel like I've prepared like five sermons in one, so <laughs> we'll see which one comes out. <laughs> I have a lot to share, okay? You know, I mean, <laughs> God's word is deep. <laughs> oh. I, I want to, I, I, the, the, the two kingdoms, we talk about the real battle, and then now we're in the two kingdoms section, and, and how different the kingdoms are. God's kingdom is one of light, it's one of truth. 
God is not a God who lies. I don't know about you, how many of you guys have ever purchased, like, say, a house or a car before or made, had to do some legal documentation on anything? Okay, all of, a lot of us have. And you sign paperwork. And there's all kinds of fine print, isn't there? There's an agreement. You enter an agreement to, say, borrow money from a bank. And the bank says, well, you want to borrow money from us? Well, then it's going to be 30,000 pages of you to read and say, if you da-da-da-da, and that's just so they can trust that you will pay them. Can you guys see now? Because that light was, was strobing a little bit. It was giving me a little more of a headache. Okay, all right. God can't lie. Oh, so God, God so we're always suspect of things, aren't we? We, we? we ask for verification. We ask for evidence. Um... Say, I promise to do something. Well, show me evidence, right? Well, here's a deposit, or here's something that proves that I'm, you know, I'm a trustworthy guy. We, we live in a world that, that we, we don't trust people, right? Because there's a lot of, right? So God says, he's true. He doesn't lie. And we spend the rest of our Christian days discovering that. Sometimes we, well, God, where were you here? Why did you leave me there? And God says, I never left you. I was always faithful to you. Well, why did I have to go through that? Alone. Well, you weren't alone. God says, I will always be with you. You will have trouble in this. I promise you that. You will have trouble, but I promise that I will be with you no matter what. Now look at John chapter 8 because as opposed to God's nature being true, look at what Jesus says about the devil. In John chapter 8, verse 44, if God's nature is one of truth and he cannot lie and his purposes are unchanging, his word is true, his son Jesus is truth, his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. The other kingdom, the kingdom of Satan, is one of lies and deception. Look at what it says in verse 44. Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, you are of your father the devil. Ouch. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. There's no truth in him. And whatever he does, whatever he, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own nature. He is a liar. He's the father of lies. So here you go. You've got God, the kingdom of light and love and truth, and Satan, the kingdom of darkness, and lies and deception. Paul says we are in a real battle Two sides. Okay? 
So go back to Ephesians, 4, Ephesians 14, yeah. Ephesians chapter 6. Go back to Ephesians 6, because then the question is this. If we know God is true, we're in this battle, it's a real battle, and there's two sides, God and Satan, and God is true and Satan is a liar, then we need to understand that to understand his tactics. Look, look, look back to Ephesians 6. Paul says this. He says, Take up the full armor of God so you'll be able to resist in the evil day. When Satan attacks, it's always a lie or a distortion of the truth. And it's always attacking the nature of God, the goodness of God, the love of God. It's always an attack. This is how he attacks. He casts doubt. He says, God's not in this. God's not truthful. God's not willing. God's not able. God doesn't mean business. God can't help you. You ever guys ever heard that, those words before? God can't. God won't. All the time. You might as well just give up, he says. He's left you. And you leave discouraged, don't you? You leave doubting God. You leave upset at God. You say, God's not telling you everything. Eve, he's keeping something from you. Let me tell you a secret. God doesn't want you to become like him. (laughs) There's a little lie. See, here's, here's here's the real reality of this. Is that the spiritual battle we face... In one sense, all that Satan does to you is give you thoughts and suggestions. And he allows you to go out and blow up on your own. He just gives you little seeds of... Some of us us are angry at God. Some of us are distant from God. All because of a lie. On the other hand, he says to some, hey, you don't need God. You can do this on your own. That's called pride. You need to build your name for yourself. You need to make it say it's all about me. Some people in the world live that way. That's all about them. That everything is dependent on them. So they, they, they work that way. They live that way. And some... Some he's twisted really, really badly. This is something that I'll just be sharing with you. Can I just be transparent? <clears throat> My biggest, the biggest thing that, that Satan attacks me with, and I know it to be true, but I, it's, you know, it's hard sometimes when you have this knot, you know, is how you think about yourself. He distorts that. Some of us think way too highly of ourselves and some of us think too lowly of ourselves. And neither is good. And what Satan does is he, he distorts your thoughts about yourself. He distorts your thoughts about God. He distorts your, your thoughts about how you think God sees you. Very twisted, right? Very twisted. In fact, 
most counseling, let's just, let's just, let's just, most counseling, when you're counseling someone, your goal is to get somebody to see the truth, right? And to accept that truth, right? And a lot of it is untying the web and the knot that crazy, what's that crazy knot? The, the one that you can't untie or that it's like Greek mythology type thing, you know, that's, you know, there's, it does that to people, right? And a lot of counseling is getting you to see the truth. Oh, that's it. That's a lot of counseling is you see the truth. So Paul says, you know, put on the full armor of God. So, so Satan attacks by doubts. He also attacks in his timing. He attacks when you least expect it. See, that's why Paul says, take up the full armor of God. And the insinuation is that, and keep, it, keep wearing it. Especially the shield, or especially the, the belt, especially the breastplate. Certain things you wear all the time. Why? Because you don't know when the enemy's going to fire a missile at you. You don't know when that's going to happen. Some of us, he attacks when we're hungry. We have a word for it. Hangry. Right? <laughs> How many guys get hangry? Sharon, raise your hand. You get hangry. Okay. okay. <laughs> she does. She gets hangry. Some of us get, we get hungry, and things happen when we're hungry, right? Or tired. It's interesting when the, when the devil decided to attack Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, it was after Jesus fasted for 40 days, and then the text says, and then he became hungry. And then, then who, gets, who shows up on the scene after 40 days and then he becomes hungry? Well, Satan himself says, hey, 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 look, see these rocks? They look like loaves of bread to me. I don't know about you, they look like loaves of bread to me. Costco doesn't have the same kind of these, but they, sound, they look really good. And he must be really hungry. He attacks us when things don't go our way. Any hand raise up for that? I can think of a lot of examples. I think of Moses, you know, and the people weren't listening to him, and so he got frustrated, and he hit the rock once and twice, and then water came out, and because of that little incident, God says, Moses, you can't go into the land. What? Forty some odd years? of No, because you misrepresented my holiness. He attacks us when we want to do good things, right? For ministry. You want to start a church. You want to have a prayer time. You want to pray with your family. You want to follow God. Guess what? The attacks will come. You want to be obedient to his word. You want to become closer to God. Relationally. Attacks will come. So, here's the question. How then do we, do, we under, do we defend ourselves? And now we get finally to our text in verse 14. We need to understand the equipment he's given to us, and we're going to maybe get to the first one. How's that sound? Good? Good. Fair enough, because that's, that's where we're going. Now look at this. Verse 14 to verse 17, we just read, and there's six pieces of armor, six things we have been given. I just want to make a few observations before we get into the first one. First of all, it says, take up 
Verse 13, the full armor of God. Here's the first observation. It's from God. He gives you the armor. And secondly, it's actually God's own armor. Say, what? God's own armor. Check this out. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11. Kim, you have a flight to take, don't you? Okay, okay. I'm just, I'm, I lost track of time. I have no idea. I have, an, I have no idea. That's okay. <laughs> what did I say? Isaiah 11? Verse 5. This is actually speaking about the Messiah. And Paul is actually, he's, I think he's, he, there's a Roman soldier where he, Paul is at, and there's also the knowledge of the Scripture that Paul has. And so he's thinking about both things. But look what it says in Isaiah 11. This is talking about the Messiah, the, the shoot, the stem from Jesse, right? The, the Spirit of God, verse 2, will be on him. Skip, skip on down. Righteousness, verse four, 5, righteousness will be the belt about his loins. And faithfulness the belt around his waist. There's a, there's a Hebrew parallelism between righteousness and faithfulness, okay? Or truth, you can also translate. The belt of truth around his loins. Belt of righteousness or faithfulness around his waist. This is the Messiah who has this about his waist. So Paul says, I want you to put that on, okay? Um, he actually alludes to, um, look over in chapter 49 in Isaiah. Oh, boy. Isaiah 49. Uh, just, well, well, um, do I want to go there? No, don't, don't go there because of the time. Just, just stay there, okay? So God is the source of the armor and it's on his own armor. The second thing I want you to observe is this. Go back to Ephesians. Is this. Paul says, take up the full armor of God. All of the armor. He doesn't say just put on the helmet and you'll be fine. No, put on every piece of armor. All of it is necessary. It's all, because you don't know. You put the helmet on, you might get attacked here, right? You put a breastplate on, you may get attacked, you know, in your feet or something, you know? The full armor of God. The battle is going to be intense. And the enemy likes to attack from all sides. Every piece is vital. Every kind of, 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 of armor is, is vital. This is armor that is meant to withstand this kind of attack. All right, so let's look at the first one, the belt of truth. Having girded your loins with truth. What does he mean by this? What is, oh boy. We know that this is a belt that the Messiah wore. We just said that. You're to put on this. What is, what is he talking about? So in, in the first century, they wore a tunic. Think of a sheet. Think of a, a sheet. And you put a hole in the sheet and armholes. And you're, and you're wearing the sheet. Okay, it's draped down. Okay? Just imagine that. I'm wearing, a, I'm wearing a short tunic right now. Okay? It's called a shirt. But usually a tunic's dropped way down. Okay? 
Now, if I wanted to do something active, say run a race or do battle or any kind of activity, I would take that tunic and I would put it in my belt. Why? Because it's like rolling up your sleeves. Okay? I'm going to run a race. I'm going to take my tunic. I'm going to put it in my belt. Now, that belt did a couple things. The belt, of course, protected your midsection here and your thighs. It also held your sword. Okay? But when you tucked in that tunic into your belt, it freed things up. How many of you guys like to watch football? Okay? Football players, when they would say there was a guy who was running and his shirt was hanging loose like this, guys would come back and they would just take a guy's shirt and just rip him down. Or certain guys have long hair, right? They just take the hair. It's flowing, right? But lately, of course, the NFL has, now the shirts are really tight and tucked in because they don't, they don't want anybody grabbing the loose edges, right? I don't want to rip my shirt. So having your loins tucked in meant that things were, were brought and put in a different place so that you were ready to do your battle, you were ready to do whatever, you're, you're sort of like your sleeves were rolled up, you're ready for action, and you were uninhibited. You weren't tripped up because your tunic was like this. You know, ladies, you want to do something active, you're going to take off your high heels, aren't you? Right? These aren't high heels, they're just... You know, you're going you're gonna to get the things, out, you're gonna, the things that are going to inhibit you and trip you up. You're going to remove those, right? Because you don't want somebody just to t- do a little thing and trip you up, and all of a sudden you're falling down your face. So the belt was very important. In fact, it was so important, it kept everything else in place. It all stems. This is a, there's an order to this. The belt of truth comes first. Why? Because this, it's like saying truth keeps it all in place. And you are to have your life in such a way that truth keeps it all in place. If you don't have that down, there'll be nothing for the enemy to trip you up. It's okay, it's, it's, it's a biblical thing to take off your shoes. <laughs> Sorry. My toe is hurting. I, I, I don't know if I broke my toe or something. A couple, when I, we were on vacation, I was walking behind Alyssa, and I accidentally, you know how we were just walking like this, and I just hit her, her, her sandal on my pinky toe? It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it, I forgive you. So he says, gird up your loins. That means wrap that belt of truth around you making it easier to run, to work, to fight. It means you're prepared. It means you're ready. The first thing about spiritual war is that you've got to be ready, don't you? It's interesting in Exodus chapter 12, when the Israelites were about to exit Egypt, they had the Passover, and God says this. He says, now, with your loins girded, and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, you shall eat in haste. That means you're going to have this meal really fast because that's what, when I say it's time to go, it's time to go. With your loins girded, you're ready for action. You're ready to go. You're prepared. You're freed up. The inhibitions are moved. The obstacles are taken care of. Because if they're not, you're going to become unstable. You're going to be susceptible to tripping up. You're going to be susceptible to being at a disadvantage. And if the enemy can knock you off just by the little things about truth and deception, 
He's, he, can win the, he can win the war, can't he? It means you're ready for action. The God who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless. That's the God who he's, he's girded my life for strength for battle, the psalmist says. And so he says, put that truth about you. What does that mean? The word truth, it's objective teaching or doctrine or subjective sincerity. It could be both. What is truth like? Truth's absolute. It's not subjective. Well, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. How many of you guys have heard that before? Okay, let's cut through that nonsense. If I jump out of a building, gravity is going to pull me down, isn't it? In fact, when I'm flying in an airplane, I pray to God that those engineers use actual reality and truth to design the, the plane. Actually, I don't think that way. My wife probably does, you know, because she's afraid of flying. I trust, I trust that they've taken the measurements and nobody says, you know, well, that was true for you, but here's what's true for me. We don't live that way, do we? We trust that the measurements and the calculations will be accurate because we know that truth is reality, isn't it? And what's reality? Reality is what God says is reality. It's not subjective. It's objective. It is exclusive. There's one truth. It's not based on our feeling. Well, I feel this. How many of you guys ever do that, right? I feel that da-da-da, right? And we, do, we live so much of our lives on feelings. It reveals actual reality. It is defined by God. It is God's view of reality. And guess what? 100% of the time, God's view of reality is going to be what? True. Well, I doubt that. Let me prove him wrong. No. (laughs) God's view of reality is always true. With the truth, we are guided. Truth makes things stable. It clarifies. It brings clarity. Victory brings freedom. The psalmist says, You desire truth in, your, in our innermost being, and in your hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Paul says, Prepare yourself for battle by having your loins girded, your, put down that truth belt so that the obstacles are, are, are removed. Let me finish with three points of application, okay? What time's your flight? Okay. <laughs> okay. Three points of application. We're going to finish up, okay? I know I went a little bit long. I lost, try, lost track of time. By the way, you know, when I listen to the sermons, I realize I probably go long. Okay? So I'm going to work on getting a little bit shorter, maybe half an hour, 35, 40 minutes, because even I'm listening mentally. I'm listening to my sermons, right, because I'm trying to fix things, you know? And I'm like, man, I'm tired listening to myself teach. <laughs> my brain is tired. Those poor people have to go through and sit for 45, 55 minutes of me backing away, right? So I'm going to work on that, okay? But this is something in my own life I have to, this is something I, in my own life, Okay? How do we put on this belt of truth? Three points of application, okay? First point. Be clear on what God says. 
be clear on what God says and finish the sentence, what God, what, clear on what God says is truth. In other words, it is knowing what his word says. His word reveals truth. I go to the bookstore a lot of times, right? And I always go to the religion section. It's my favorite section, right? Every time I'm, I'm, if I'm visiting another city or if I'm going to the local Barnes & Noble, I go to that section, and guess what? How many times, well, they, they don't have a Christian section, some books, but they have just a religion section. So you have Christian books and other books, right? And how many times I've seen some person come up and go to a different thing, right, looking for another way, another religion, another whatever it is, ism, and they're looking for truth, aren't they? And they're looking at their little astrology book or their whatever ism book, and they're hungry. They want to know a path, right? And sitting right here is a bunch of Bibles, right? And I want to say, hey, this is what you're looking for, isn't it? This is the light to your path, isn't it? This this will show you the way. That that other stuff is made up nonsense. As Christians, we want to be clear on what God's Word teaches. That's why we come to the Bible study in in church, right? That's why we read our Bible. That's why we ask questions. We're, We're disciples. Disciple means learner. We're looking to understand his ways, his, his word, his attributes. What is God like? You know, we ask the questions. And we study and we seek God. But to put on this belt of truth, and we have to be very clear, crystal clear. And here's what happens. The enemy says, ah, ah, but, but, and he puts in those doubts, right, and distortions, and he kind of, you know, Satan knows the Bible. You know that, right? He's read it. I mean, he, he and Jesus had this theological com- conversation, right? And he pulled out the Bible and started quoting Scripture to Jesus. He distorted the Scripture. He tried to make it say what God not intended it to say. Jesus says, yeah, that scripture does not apply to this situation here. I'm not testing my father out by jumping from this building. But that's what he does. If he does that, think about this. If Satan does that in a conversation with Jesus, all the more, how much more are we had to be crystal clear in what the scripture teaches? Many times we, we, we go based our, on our feelings and, our, and our, we say, oh, or our instincts, rather than what, the God, what God's word is, says, it's true. We can't trust our own view of truth. We have to trust God's word. Second point, if we're going to put on our belt of truth, we are going to be clear. We want to be clear what God's word says. It's truth. But the second thing, and that relates to the second definition of truth, is a commitment to follow that word. A commitment to the integrity and sincerity. It's one thing to say, God's word says such. Oh, great, I agree with that mentally. It's another thing that says, well, in light of this, I want to live in a certain way. It is, it is committing to God says, okay, that's true. Now what do I do about that? 
It's the commitment to accept what God says is true over what your friends say, over what your family says if it's contrary, over what society says. Society says you're not pretty unless you're, unless you're a certain weight, a certain height, a certain complexion, right? You're not lovable. That's what society, God says I love you no matter what. It's a commitment to live this thing out, to accept it. Now, this is the hard part for us, isn't it? This is part of what marriage does, right? This is what marriage does. Marriage does this. I hurt my wife, let's say, hypothetically. I haven't done so today, I hope. (laughs) And she says, ouch, that hurt. You're me sometimes. Are you hungry, right? Did you get enough sleep? Do you have a headache, right? The commitment is to say, I need to receive that and say, you know, well, even though I didn't intend to hurt you, you still got hurt. I'm sorry, right? No, no we didn't do it, right? We, we're good, right? It's to be able to say, oh, okay, that's, that's me. I need, to, I need to change course in that area. That's putting on the belt of truth. It is, it is oh, tucking in my, 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 making sure it's in place. It's hearing the truth and accepting the truth and receiving the truth and following through on the truth. It's allowing the truth to challenge you, to confront you, to convict you, to reveal to you. It's the scene from A Few Good Men. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Who says that? Jack Nicholson. I want the truth. We want the truth, right? Okay, you want the truth? Let's hear it. It's allowing yourself to follow and be changed in applying the truth. So first, if we want to put on the belt the truth, be clear what God says. Secondly, be committed to that. And thirdly is this, and this is, this is probably the point I could have started with and, and just spend the whole time with, but I decided, oh well, I didn't is this. It's cultivating truth. It's probably, I should have just skipped everything else and just went to this last page. It is cultivating the truth in your thinking. It's one thing to read and say, this is true, I accept it as true. I'm going to try to live it. But often what, sti- what, what trips me up, personally, is how I think internally. The real battle is often between your ears. It is how you think. Sometimes I'm not really honest with my true motives. I fool myself. Sometimes I am fake around people. God says, be real with me. It's how you think internally. It's how you talk to yourself internally. Does it agree with God's word? Are you going to align and be sincere in your said beliefs and you want to live out that belief with how you think and in, in, in align with, with God's truth? 
telling ourselves the truth about God, about ourselves, about our heart, about our sin, about our, about our lives. Because before God, it's all revealed. Before God, it's transparent. It's being real with God and confession and, and saying, I'm hurt. I'm not really sincere, God. I'm frustrated. I struggle. I have hopes. It's seeing things as God sees them. So to put on the belt of truth, you are clear in what God says. You're committed to following it, and you cultivate honesty with how you talk to yourselves. Let's end here. Father, thank you for this time in your word. I know we went a little long, but God, we just love your word. We love you. And Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters, my friends, our, our family that's here. We just pray, Lord, would you help us, Lord, just to, to, to live in such a way that our belts are about us, the belt that you provided, and that our lives are defined by truth, Lord, that our thoughts are in agreement with that truth, God, that your view of reality is true, God, and what you say is true. And we pray, Lord, I pray, Father, that I know a lot of us are going through hard times and difficult times. I pray, Lord, that you would speak truth into that situation. Lord, would you speak hope into the areas of despair that Satan wants to, 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 to bring and hopelessness where they can't see a way out, God. You have a way out. Your word says that there's nothing impossible with you, God. Your word says that you bring hope to the hopeless. Your word says that you bring light where there's darkness. And so, Father, I pray that as, as many of us are, are struggling and maybe we're in despair or discouraged because we believe the lies of Satan, we want to put our hope in you, God, and trust, Lord, that where there may not be in a way that's, a way that's apparent to us, you have ways that we know, about, know nothing about, God. Your way is true, God. And you bring hope. I pray for hope and for healing right now, Lord, in this room, God. We give you our lives and our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.